Happy anniversary to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week marks the sixth year that we've been doing this, and we've got a very special guest, none other than my dear friend, Dr. Marty Becker, to talk all about veterinary medicine this week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and viewfinders. This week, it's not tough at all. It's all about celebrating the profession, and there's nobody I'd rather celebrate an anniversary or the future of the veterinary profession with than our guest today. But before we get into our very special fear-free guest, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky. Six years you've been putting up with me every yes. single week. How That's... how do you do it? How? I, well, it, there's a lot of editing. <laughs> we edit out the curse no, words. Right? It's been great. I can't believe it's been six years. It's funny. I I don't know. I, I can't believe it's been six years. It um I looked it up. It looks like you owe me either candy or iron. So I'm not oh. sure which you bought, but that's that is the traditional six year uh, anniversary present. So I'll be checking the mail. Well, the so gift you know. I've got for you is the guest that we are going to have today. And and viewfinders, you know, Becky and I've been doing this a long time. Well, I've been doing it a long time. Becky, not so long. But you know what I'm talking about. And one of the people that helped shape who I am today is our guest. And I'll never forget sitting there rapturously in awe of this speaker when I was a veterinary student at the University of Georgia. And this takes us back to the late 1980s. And I got exposed to a different concept about medicine than I'd ever been exposed to before. And so sitting there watching him, I felt a connection. I said, you know what? This is actually why I like what I like. This is why I want to be a veterinarian. All of my colleagues around me, they were more, you know, let's do the science and make all A's and let's do the latest and the greatest. And I was like, wow, this is about communication and interaction. And that guy on the stage told me it was okay. So today I am so honored and it's a privilege to share the microphone, so to speak, with my dear friend, Dr. Marty Becker. Marty, thank you so much for joining us. Well, congratulations on your sixth year anniversary. But I bet you can't believe it's been it's been that long and gone that fast. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I know Becky feels the same way. It literally feels like we've just been doing it, Becky. I mean, like just like a couple of weeks, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny, though, to think back and look back and go through the Instagram pictures of actually how far we've come. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do I do know this was a, a leap before I look situation. I, 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 I did not know what I was getting into. Um, and it's actually been a really like a, a big privilege and honor over the years. A lot of people have come through um, and said things like, you know, I really appreciated you saying this or I really appreciated um, your take on that or, or you know, some of the things that you say or do to stand up for technicians. So I really I'm really honored. Um, but six years. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a lot. And um, I can't believe people are still listening. I think that's the biggest I think that's the biggest <laughs> honor. Yeah, I, I got it. I, I'm wholeheartedly in agreement. I mean, if you find the fact that you guys show up by the thousands every week to listen to us pontificate and postulate and observe what's going on in the profession just means the world to us. And again, we hope that we've helped you in some way. But someone who has helped us all, I would argue, is Dr. Marty Becker. And Marty, you know, again, your career is one of those that I love. I mean, you know, I don't use this term 
often, and I don't use it loosely, but I do describe you as a polymath when it comes to veterinary medicine. And that's, that's about the highest honor I can give anybody. Gosh, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny when you were both describing what's happened over these six years and, and Ernie, you know, looking back over your whole career, you never know when something happens in a communication opportunity that moves somebody. And so, you know, you talk about this time. I remember I was traveling to all the veterinary schools in, in the country speaking, and I'd always talk about the North Star was always the human-animal bond. Right. And that got drilled into me by my dean, Leo Bustad, where right. I go to veterinary school, 14 years, made six to 20. I wanted to be a dairy practitioner. He gets up there, a Jewish prisoner of war at Sobibor in World War II, was befriended by a Belgian Malinois that was supposed to terrify him. Instead, it befriended, befriended him. And, and he's the guy that had that spark got in him. He's the guy that coined the term, the human-animal bond. And, and really, when you look at veterinary medicine, I think we have this inexhaustible, irrefutable source of energy that fuels us forward. But I bet you both, Becky and you know times you've been lecturing at a major veterinary conference or written an article not expecting something seismic to happen, but somebody will come up to you and say, man, that changed me. And, and literally, that's what happened to me with Fear Free. I was sitting in, the, in Vancouver Island in Victoria at the Empress Hotel, uh, said hi to Karen Overall on the way in to give a talk. Uh, I said, I'm looking forward to hearing your talk. Actually, I was looking forward to leaving. <laughs> it was late in the day, and <laughs> right, I'm right. being honest, I was gonna sneak out. I, I thought she'll get engaged in a pod of people like you do, and she won't notice I sneak out of the back. Uh, instead, I had my life changed. Yeah, yeah. And, and along that same time, you know, uh, our dear friend, uh, who's no longer with us, Dr. Sophia Yen, you know, we were all kind of having the same conversations around the country in different formats. And, you know, I think everybody was, we were already doing it, Marty, but, you know, finally, we codified it and, you know, took it to the next level. And that's, I fully credit you. But Marty, before that, before Fear Free, which I think a lot of this generation knows you as, I mean, you were actually one of the first people not only to, I think, champion the human animal bond, but to also be a, I would argue, a strong advocate for business practices. I mean, Marty, that's, that's honestly, if I say what jazzed me about meeting you and knowing you and learning from you all these years, it was you helped me in my business. It's, gosh, it's so fun to go back to, so Ross Clark, who many of your listeners won't know, Ross Clark, along with, this is unbelievable, Steve Ettinger, yeah. We're the first two business experts in veterinary economics. I, I think people that know Ross can understand that, but Steve Ettinger, we all associated him with the textbook of veterinary internal medicine right. as an editor. But in veterinary school, when my classmates were, uh, you know, absorbed on these cadavers and fighting over these things, I figured out, heck, I just go in here to the library and read veterinary economics, which it was pretty pristine, nobody else was reading right. it. And I'd go in afterwards and could go right through the cadavers. But I remember thinking, you don't have to take a, a vow of poverty. This is not purely altruistic. When you make money, you create something of value. And it shows that, you know, uh, profit shows you created something of value. So it was always kind of tied in with the, the human-animal bond, but making enough profits to build to the future so you can invest in new equipment, technologies, training, and most importantly, in your team members. Right. So really, you could have it all. And you said in your very first part about science, it can be science and soul. It can be state of the art meets state of the heart. 
And when you get those two together, that's a practice that thrives with people inside that have bought into a mission. Right. And I think that too often, you know, at least in the veterinary world, Becky, you know, we kind of go into it with these blinders on saying, well, you know, well, if you like business and money, then you're not going to be a good veterinarian and, and nothing could be further from the truth. And in fact, you know, I think that what I tried to do by extension from, you know, Marty's model, right, I feel like I drafted off of Marty a lot was to say, okay, how do we apply this and actually, you know, make systems in the clinic, you know, Marty, I think did a great job with the communication element. And then I tried to systematize it, right, to say, okay, look, let's, let's do training steps. But Becky, I mean, you've worked with a wide variety of veterinarians and vet techs. I mean, is that divide still there? I mean, I think Marty and I would both agree, you know, back in the day, it was kind of like, well, if you're good at business, you're not a good vet. Well, if you're a good vet, you're not good at business. Do you still see that kind of tension and friction between those two elements? I mean, I, I think there's a big divide in veterinary medicine, no matter what. I think we've got some really innovative, really understanding, really well thought out potential students and future veterinarians who who are aware of the issues, who have done their research and who know that, you know, ownership looks different um, for different people. And then I think we've got a lot less progressive areas of our, our, our profession and they they run into those, I think, more more frequently, maybe. Right. But in general, um, I do think, you know, I think about um, like people like Debbie Boone, who worked really hard to get the business side of the veterinary school going at NC State. I think there's just a lot more education out there saying, you know, that that's on a more micro level, helping veterinarians understand what they can and can't do, how they can and can't do it. You know, um, I mean, you even talk about being part of kind of the beginnings of the VBMA. And so. I think for sure, since you, you kind of your time in school to today, we do see a lot more focus on the business side. If you want to be on the business side or the inherent nature of being on the business side just by being in practice, I think there's a lot more concentration on that than there ever used to be. Yeah. And Marty, I, I think that's one thing that probably our generation established was that it was okay to have these conversations. It was okay to be financially successful because it didn't, it didn't come at the cost or expense of being a great veterinarian or a great surgeon or whatever. I mean, does that make sense to you? Yeah. You know, I've always talked about financial success and emotional wealth. I, I've never shied away from the fact that we can you know, you want to be able to have a vehicle that's dependable and be able to take a vacation and send your kids to college. I mean, right. we're, we're a small business, but the, the, my sister's a physician. And so she's financially successful, but not emotionally wealthy. You know, we're the chance to often see a pet. We pull it wiggling from its mother and, and uh, you know, give the final grace to this pet. And we're deeply emotionally connected with these people. Um, you know, the... When you when you look at veterinary medicine, you know we know it's a it's a tough profession to run a small business with all that entails long hours, life and death decisions. Um, there's uh, there's death that we see, which most healthcare providers don't see. You know, I don't even know what you'd say a hundredth of the death that we see. Right. But I think sometimes we forget about the the positive sides, like puppy breath, like a, like a, <laughs> right. an earthly uh, kinetic mass of kittens, you know, the little Cirque du Soleil performers and the pet <laughs> that shouldn't make it, that makes it. Um, it's just, it's an incredible profession. 
And one of the things I think, and I don't know, Ernie, what it was like when, when you first went to school, but there were 73 kids in my class, class of 1976 at Washington State University. Most of us were farm kids. And we, we had so much animal handling because you grew up in, and raised on a farm. And uh, you look at the gender shift, which I think is great in veterinary medicine, but I think they're a little bit at a, a, a disadvantage going to school because they don't have that ease of animal handling that we had. Yeah. And now it's changing to where it's, you know, you look at it, we were all live animals, which when I look back at, at our purely live animal, animal handling and, and surgery, and the fact that we did not recover those surgeries, uh, it makes me grimace just to think back of that. So now they're using simulation and models and live and dead animals. That's all really good. But you know, I graduated in 1980, right when Parvo hit. My partner hadn't had a vacation in five years, and he left for a five-week vacation three days into my veterinary career. Well, I sure as heck didn't know very much as a veterinarian, but I did know the animal handling part. And that's one of the things I don't think gets brought up enough, that certainly people expect you to be proficient at animal handling, that you're not terrified of a cat or, or a dog. Right. And one thing I wanted to go back real quick, Ernie, that you'd mentioned about Sophia Yin. Sophia Yin, what a bright light. Uh, I I have no special skills in Fear Free other than being able to popularize something, provide a network and raw energy. Fear Free is we, not me. There's 256 people on the Fear Free Advisor Group. Sophia Yin was one of the first five. Right. And she stayed there in memoriam. Now, there's somebody that really moved the needle. And boarded veterinary behaviors, they knew this stuff. They just didn't have uh, didn't have a platform. They didn't have the way to communicate that. And and I tell people, listen, before Fear Free started, I was stretching cats out into two zip codes. You know, their right. their <laughs> head was in Chapel Hill and their ass was wherever Duke's at. You know, <laughs> thought right. nothing of it. That's what we were trained to do. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, again, I, I do want to touch back on Sophia because I think she illustrates a lot of, of the challenges of practice. But I also want to, to lean in here just a little bit more because I, I think you're right. Fundamentally, there has been a shift, Becky, and sort of you know the the graduates of vet school. I, I think like Marty, you know, we grew up only handling animals. I mean, I used to tell people, uh, Marty, when I was growing, you know, when I was a young vet, I used to say the most important thing you can do is bathe dogs, bathe dogs and cats and horses and cows and goats as much as you can. Amen. And people look at me funny, like going, what? You, why, I'm not a groomer. I'm going to be a vet. And I was like, you are learning normals right? You're putting your hands on these animals and you're cleaning them and you're checking out the crevices. And I'll tell you, I think I, my hands developed in a sixth sense. I think when I was about 15 to 17, because of bathing hundreds and hundreds of dogs and cats and you know, Marty, that counts, right? Because when I then got to vet school, not only had I already done everything, but I kind of had a good concept of what normal looked like and felt like, and maybe even smelled like. You know what, you know what, Ernie, see, that's the thing about, I have never heard that that I've never literally never heard that part about bathing but you illustrate that matter of fact I got that crazy thing where the hair stood up on the on the back of my head I don't have much hair on the head anymore by the way Ernie got a lot <laughs> got of less. back hair so so the hair stood up on my back hair let's put that but 
But that's brilliant because people, even though they're they're not grown up rural like we are mostly, right. they could volunteer at a shelter. Right. They could bathe bathe dogs, and they'll get used to animal handling. Right. They'll get used to, like you said, all these nooks and crevices. I think that is just brilliant. And and you know, I think when you come back to it all, you and I have always talked about systems, you know, and that's where. Uh, there's there's certain people in veterinary medicine that that lecture and have large audiences that actually have never run a hospital. Right. It's it's one thing to actually have have run a hospital and gone through all the trials <laughs> of that. If you're talking about communication and customer service and leadership and those type of yeah. things, yeah, I, I can tell you, you know, again, if you're listening today, if you're a student, because we have a, a large student listening, you know, out there and a population. I, I would. I mean, these are those practical things. And, you know, I, I remember too, Marty, you know, at our main clinic, these young students in high school would come in and they'd be like, you know, I want to be a vet. I want to do this. And I'd say, fine, hit back to the kennel. <laughs> we, got a, we got a job for you. And they would hate it. And you could tell quickly these, the ones that didn't stick with it, you know, Marty, I mean, again, I, I, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble or, or derail a dream. But you know, the reality is there's a lot of hard work. And I think you sometimes need to do the hard work. So I, you know, again, whatever you can do, get real practical hands on experience. Becky, I know one of the things you've expressed over the last six years is that exact issue that a lot of times you as a technician are having to train young graduates, like how to handle a cat, like Marty was saying, and you know, <laughs> how to, how to, how to bathe the dog or check anal glands or whatever. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, and we've talked about this before, new grads come out of school with, you just kind of are, you know, a student one day and then you're a veterinarian the next. And I think that's right. very jarring for a lot of them. And I, I do think it's different for veterinary technicians. Um, I do think we have a higher expectation fresh out of school. I think people expect us to graduate and come in ready to hit the ground running in a way that they don't expect from their veterinary students, but that's okay. We're up for the challenge, <laughs> but we are there. I think often just to kind of provide them. I mean, you, you just can't learn everything in school. And I think that's a big disadvantage, um, for folks that haven't had the hands-on experience before to, to really see that reality and to get an opportunity to enter the field confident to tackle everything. So that's what techs are for. You know what? We're in that that part of our life, Ernie, where you're younger than I am, and I have no idea. Becky's got the cool spelling to her name, so she's probably much younger. Uh, I just went to my 50th class reunion and, and heard the cat calls a farty pecker. So we come from the thing when everybody had a derogatory nickname and there were yep. fist fights and all the good stuff. But, you know, one of the things still, I've been a veterinarian for over 40 years, and I work as an associate veterinarian now in a seven-doctor practice. But one of the things that we do is the first week that a veterinarian uh, comes to the practice to work, we have them work as a receptionist. Yep, yep. And I want them to see what it's like to handle that desk, to have a client come out that hasn't had their, their questions answered, that somebody hasn't given value because we don't have to, we don't have to go into the tell the the pet parent the prices, but we got to deliver the value. Benefits over price equals value before somebody comes in and gives them a quote. And the other thing, a couple other things. One of the things I tell new veterinary students when you're coming in, you know, you're nervous. You know, am I going to get this accurate diagnosis? I'm back in treatment. I got to suture this up. But you be the first one to pitch in when there's, uh, you know, there's somebody struggling to hold an animal for radiographs or there's a mess to be cleaned up because these technicians know more than you do. 
And if you show you're not on a high horse, but you're willing to get down there and dig, and not that you have to do it forever, but that's how you kind of sear your brand of cooperation and interdependence into them. But I have a technician now named Nikhil Morgan. And when we work together, she goes in first, you know, as a, I call her a nurse. And Becky, I'm not sure if you like technician or nurse, but I call her a nurse. And I tell the pet parent, listen, uh, Nicole and I work together as a team. So you're gonna hear us communicating throughout my part of this exam. And sometimes she will be leading the conversation, sometimes I'll be leading the conversations. And then it truly is four hands, uh, four eyes, you know, looking at right. these pets. And that's different than when I started out 40 years ago and the technician was just a set of hands. But I love that, almost like writing a book where you write with co-authors. I love that interplay and then we just don't miss anything. And I wanna elevate uh, Nicole in the eyes of that pet parent, whether they're calling back for a question or she's calling to see how the pet is doing. Um, but do you see much of that, Becky, where there's that that one-two kind of punch in the exam room? I see it where technicians have longevity. <laughs> I, I see it where things are being done the way they should be. And I appreciate that, Dr. Marty, because, you know, we really do. I think there are in any medical profession, you know, they see that triangle, they see that pyramid and, and totem pole. And ultimately, I think... Um, 98% of our clients are there to see the doctor that they like, right? They, they I now I, I know a lot of patients. I've had patients in the past follow me from clinic to clinic for various reasons. And a lot of other technicians are like that, but they've really got to have that trust of the, the veterinarian. And so I don't think we inherently trust people just because they're there. You know, I, I think to myself, like, well, if you trust your veterinarian, then you should trust that everybody in this clinic is operating at the level of your veterinarian or, or, you know, it under their guidance and, and with their trust and appreciation, but we don't see that. And so to, to make sure that you express it and to make sure clients understand that it, it is an independent role. You know, I love to say we're not a consolation prize in, but more than the pet parent. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll laugh. I'm sorry. That is a good one. I'm right, that one down. And, that's, and that's Becky's too, Marty. It's, that is Becky's. Yeah, it's true. Just trademark <laughs> yeah. Becky Mosser. I do think, yeah, I guess that probably does <laughs> get traced right back to me. But, you know, I think that there is, um, a, I think more than the client, other veterinary professionals and specifically veterinarians need to hear that. And so since that's our audience, I'm grateful for you to say that because, um, one, they need to hear it. And two, they, I think a lot of times feel that they s support technicians, but don't know how to tangibly do that. And so I think that's a great example of how our profession can help to support technicians as their own profession and to show that I have, this person has my trust and this person also has some authority here. And um, we work together as a team because we both have very important roles. And and I think that's important for a lot of professionals to hear. Yeah, you know, let me, sure. let me step, step on what you just said. See, I think if somebody in the clinic says, you know, we recommend this parasite control product, or we recommend that we give a pre-visit pharmaceutical, it has implied authority that they think they're speaking on behalf of the veterinarians there. But I think what what veterinarians should do is elevate the nurse or the technician in the eyes of the pet parent. That so when they see you working together and and 
I'll say, Nicole, did I did we miss anything? Is there anything? Or she'll say, are there any questions you haven't had answered? You've elevated them. And so now talk about implied authority. Uh, I, I've never heard consolation prize. I'm sorry it made me laugh and stepped right <laughs> over your stuff, but I wanted to wear, and, and I can tell you this happens. Once you do that, then these people will feel very comfortable calling and talking with them. And everybody talks about work to the, to the top of your license and all those things. It's a, it's a process to do that. Yeah. And, and Marty, you know, and again, it's a deliberate, intentional act. And so in my second book and on management, you know, called Creating the Veterinary Appointment, I actually lay out the steps that I was taking and training my associates to do in the exam room. And, and, and Becky, it's exactly as, as you and Marty just described. And, and quite frankly, it boils down to a lot of nonverbal cues. So we would train them to be very attentive. So when, a, when you ask a question of a veterinary technician, you turn to them, you look at them, <laughs> you, know, you give them yeah. your full focus. That signals to the client, hey, the vet takes this person seriously, right? The second thing you do is you always sort of defer to them like Marty and I were both describing here. It's, it's like, you know, a lot of times I say, hey, you know, actually, Becky's the expert here on this particular situation, cleaning the ears, whatever, right? You know, so Becky, any tips for Mrs. Smith? Again, I focus my, you know, my nonverbal toward that person. But when you elevate them like that in the room, Marty, guess what? That makes my job a lot easier because... You know, they now pay attention and I don't get that phone call saying, wait, now what do I put in the ear again or whatever? Uh, so I, I, I love this conversation. But Becky, uh, Becky and Marty, yeah. we spend a lot of time on the viewfinder talking about the mental health challenges. And Marty, when you and I, I graduated, you know, 31 years ago now or whatever, and you, you know, a little bit before that. Um, we didn't talk openly about mental health, but, but Marty, I think the conversation has become a lot more open. I think that's good and bad because I think we need more action and maybe not so much talk, but, but what do you see? Like, how, how can we, how can we help? Right. I mean, this is, this is a crisis level, I think in the profession. I, I talked to somebody and said, you know, in 1976, believe it or not, we had uh, a counselor uh, named Jack at veterinary school and they go, really? Wow. And I go, yeah, Jack Daniels. Oh, uh, yeah. The, yeah. We had the same guy. <laughs> yeah, same guy. It was funny. He was all the veterinary schools. I had a standing appointment with that guy about 5.15 on Fridays. And I got to tell you, you know, he would sit there as long as I wanted, as long as I could. Isn't that amazing, though, <laughs> when you think about the stuff that we bury? Because I remember a classmate had a father die unexpectedly and the struggles they went through. And and uh, really, it was laughed off and, and probably dulled literally by alcohol and marijuana in the 70s. Sure. But, you know, that I've been really open about my own mental health issues. So I write about it and I talk about it. Sometimes I wonder if I've beat the drum too much about talking about it. But I, I love the, the honesty, right? I think we need to have these conversations and, and be honest and transparent about the struggles. But I think you bring up one really important um, accessibility issue. And even with resources, there was accessibility issues. Um, and, and I think it's one of the saddest things about our country. So I think that we have got to, um, you know, continue to find ways. Uh, I know we've got not one more vet and not one more support staff. And they've got... Um, Better help discounts and coupons. I know Vet Tech Cafe also offers one. So accessibility continues to be a major issue. And, um, you know, I, I, most of the technicians I know are not getting insurance. They don't get mental health benefits. And so um, I think accessibility is something we need to continue to talk about, if not more than the problem itself. Yeah, that, that's a really great point, Becky, and something that we've 
or frustrated with. You know, you know, Marty, I think for me, I got lucky, and I mean that lucky viewfinders, that I discovered the elixir of exercise early in my life. And for me, you know, I I, I, I haven't had those other feelings. I, I'm grateful for that. Uh, certainly, you know, within our family, we've had lots of, of those types of issues. So I'm, I'm intimately uh, associated and aware. But for me on a personal level, I think what happened when I got to be about 30, and now I'm having tremendous success in our first main clinic, you know, and we're just crushing it, Marty. I mean, you know, we, we did some great things back in the day. And, uh, and I said, I'm not happy, you know, and I started running and I started lifting weights and swimming. And, you know, that, that led me down a whole different path uh, of, of sort of that self-discovery. And, and, you know, I got deep into meditation. And so if you're listening today, again, there's all types of pathways to lead you. And again, I don't, I think happiness might be a, that's a that's a tall order for me, Marty. Like I'm always hesitant to say happiness. But for me, you know, am I content? Do I find meaning and purpose in my life? Do I find, you know, ha- joy and happiness with family members, right? So when if I'm with other people, am I a type of person who brings a positive energy? So, you know, if you're struggling with that, I would say find something, find some way and, and seek it out. And it takes work. You know, Marty, again, whether it's pharmacological interventions or in my case, physical interventions, right? You got to find that thing that fits for you and and then you got to do it. You got to do the work, my, right? My like, wife, my wife would just be applauding or or high fiving you or hugging you because that's exactly where hers comes from. So I've come yeah. from a side where I'm using chemical crutches. Is what for her though? She is into kind of mind, body, spirit. So yeah. she's either on her knees in prayer or on a exercise machine. And that's what, for her, it's that combination of prayer and physical fitness. You know, she gets she gets panning tired. I mean, you, you and I both talked about pet obese and we talked about panning tired, so I probably shouldn't use right. it about my wife. <laughs> but <laughs> she gets down to where she she's gets on uh, and competes with these people, you know, online. And at 68, she can kick most of their asses, yeah. you know, but... I think the thing to do is if you're if you're struggling, we're loath to ever talk to anybody about this. And talk. There's a veterinary. Uh, I think you were in it, Ernie. Didn't you get in? Inter- okay, yeah. The cost of caring, and it talks about these, the different. So there's gonna be some real surprises. I won't tell some people who will be in there, but you're gonna watch this thing and go. They're suffered from depression, and they did this, and and uh, but let's just don't ever forget. You know the. Is so glad I chose to be a veterinarian. You right. know, I look back at this path and anywhere you're at, the only place you don't want to be a veterinarian is on an airplane when you have somebody <laughs> next to you that wants to talk. And I learned years ago from Dennis Cloud. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, Ernie. I know he, Dennis. Yep. Dennis told me, he said, listen, if you want, don't want to talk to somebody, tell them you're either an award-winning insurance salesman or you're in the business of servicing porta potties. And honest to God, I have used that before. And I guarantee you, nobody will talk to you for the rest of the flight. I love it. I love it. And, you know, and, and it is funny because, and there are flights where I'm like, you know what, I want to let everybody know because this flight's going to go by really fast. And uh, these days, you know, especially with obesity, I'm all too happy to talk about it. But Marty, getting back to that one thing to the other, the other issue that just as we'll kind of start to wrap up today's conversation, you find is we got to stop being so judgmental about like what path you choose, because I can tell you that there, there's a wide spectrum of, of help that you can get out there. And so my jam is with endurance, 
Marty's jam is his and Becky's is hers and yours is yours. Full of pharmacological and all sorts of in-between mixtures. So again, I think we got to be a lot more open-minded, Marty, because I think that's also, like you keep saying, until we feel comfortable talking about it, right? And that's the first step, no matter what. You got to trust somebody enough to say, hey, I, this, I'm not feeling good. This is not, I'm not happy. I'm not whatever. I have a, I have a daughter, Mikkel is, uh, and you know, Mikkel, she yeah. does hers just through therapy. Mm -hmm. And it was like turning a light switch off and gosh, now the rungs are on the ladder, you know, Christmas is coming up in a little bit. And, and Hey, by the way, Ernie, I got to tell you and Becky, one thing, I'm so glad my mom passed away a few years ago. I'll tell you why. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> She passed that's always a good conversation <laughs> yeah. starter. I'm so glad my dad died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when people were going, what? Where's this going? Okay. So I was born the day after Thanksgiving in 1954. And my mom, God bless her, every Thanksgiving from my earliest memory, we'd be at Thanksgiving dinner and she'd go, did you know the turkey arrived a, uh, a day late in 1954 when Marty was born? I knew she was going to say it. I'd kick my kids under, or my wife under the table, like, oh, God, here it comes again, you know. So thankfully, I'll be able to have a Thanksgiving dinner without my mom talking about the turkey arrived a day late. Well, Marty, I can't let you go without a little prognostication from the guy that I admire. Uh, what do you see like the next decade? Just, you know, just general, broad, meta, whatever, you know, like what, how do you see the next 10 years of veterinary medicine progressing? You know, oh, do you see good, bad, indifferent? What? Thanks for asking. Uh, I think, I, I know that's corny and I hate cliches, but the future so bright, you got to wear shades, man. <laughs> you know, if you're fearfully certified, by the way, and you graduate, you're going to get a seven to 10% higher job offer. And what that shows is that people are willing to pay for people to look at the emotional well-being of animals, so physical emotional well-being, and then the practices are willing to pay these students to help bring the culture change. You know, telemedicine never took off, but I think it's going to take off. And what it's going to take, and I have no, I want to make this clear, I have no commercial relationship with these companies, right, right, okay? Right. There's a new pet bed called Brisby that is there's a hospital version and an at-home version so this thing takes a temperature pulse respiration and also uh, weighs your pet which ernie this will be perfect yep. for you maybe you've already heard of this bed but yep. uh, what it allows to do it fits right into the pims and so you'll get accurate uh, information about this pet and can start to monitor uh, then there's another product called i think it's companion labs and this product is a tra it trains your dog. So it trains it to sit, stay, come, but also trains it to walk to the camera, away from the camera, and walk laterally both sides in front of the camera. That thing, with this cameras and sensors, can detect arthritic changes, lameness issues, quicker, earlier than boarded veterinary orthopedists. The other thing it te detects is, like if a pet has been licking a paw, uh, increasingly licking a paw or scratching its ear, or showing signs of fear, anxiety, and stress. So I think what's gonna happen is you're going to see more data coming from the home that we then can monitor as veterinary healthcare professionals. And we're the ones that are, uh, you know, it's almost like being on the Starship Enterprise where you're right. in there with the other people, but we'll be able to detect things earlier in that period of grace. Uh, you know, through you and I had a conversation about genetics with base yeah. pause the other day. 
We're going to have genetic information. We're going to have real-time information from home. So pets are going to live happier, healthier, fuller lives. We as, because you and I come from a, a time when we didn't run blood work on most surgeries. I mean, yeah. when I graduated in 1980, the one clinic was just knocked them all out with pentobarbital and uh, most of them lived, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. and we didn't have dental radiographs. And so I, I look at the demand as pets just don't make us feel good, but are good for us. There's a direct tie in with One Health with human health and with these new technologies and training. And, and, I, and also one last thing too, I think that thing with balance in life is so important. Yeah. Uh, at Fear Free, this is gonna sound unbelievable. We give seven weeks paid vacation starting, Ernie. Uh, the, I don't think there's too many companies that do that. And the reason we do it is we actually, people actually get more done if they have more flexibility and time off yeah, uh, the productivity is there, and and you know if you you, you were finding different ways to uh, over your whole career, so you've got to be in this thirty plus years, aren't you, Ernie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty-one. Where where everybody everybody on the team won, and there's a good example of just inviting Becky to be on this podcast for six years would be a great example of that kind of um, cooperation and harmony. Uh, yeah, patience on Becky's behalf. I, I would argue. So. <laughs> She's got the patience. I'm glad you invited me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Becky, consolation prize. That was like, I, I freaking love that. Oh, I will never forget this in my life. She's got so many of them. It's amazing. Well, Marty, I, I appreciate that. I think we share your enthusiasm and optimism for the future. Obviously, you know, I think that... Uh, it's never just a gimme. It's never just easy uh, because the best things that uh, in life are not just free or easy. They actually require some effort. And and Marty, you've put in the effort. You've done the work. Uh, your career has done nothing but inspire countless colleagues. And I, I can't thank you enough for what you've meant to me in my personal life. So thanks again for spending time with us today. Well, thank you. And you know, Ernie, it's like, uh, you know, mentor mentees. I've learned from you over the years too. And you're uh, who, when you said about pathways, about mental health, you never know where a veterinary career will take you. You know, there's yeah. veterinarians working in the movie industry on not, uh, no animals were harmed and people right, right. in the military and in the wildest dreams, you wouldn't think you'd end up on Rachel Ray. Right, you, know, right. you know, how, how in the heck would I end up on these award shows? You, you just never know. And, and never I know. tell you for anybody's mom or dad or grandma and grandpa, do they ever love saying that their daughter or their son or their granddaughter or their grandson are veterinarians? So that means more to them than any Christmas present you will ever give them. Gosh, well, you have given us an anniversary present to remember. Viewfinders, that is Dr. Marty Becker, founder of Fear Free, amongst many other things. If you haven't read his seminal book, The Healing Power of Pets, please do, because, uh, you know, that was written a long time ago, and it's just as salient today as it was the day he put it to paper. So, again, I, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Becky, if people want to tell us how much they love Dr. Marty Becker, how can they do that? Oh, you know where to find us over on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can't, I don't know if you're tweeting right now. It's a little, <laughs> I'm a little, a little tense, yeah, yeah, yeah. but if you're, if you're, 
If you're if you're still in the tweet zone, uh, you can talk to Ernie. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I think it's <laughs> and so that's Elon. At yeah. Finder. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> and then always send an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you to Marty Becker. Thank you, Becky, for six years. I can't tell you. I can't imagine doing this to anybody else. In fact, I wouldn't do it with anybody else. You so had better you. not. Good. Yeah. Please don't imagine that. I appreciate it. And you guys, thanks for six years of listening. That's in- for you guys because you're the reason. We have been here for 600 episodes. That's right. (laughs) Guys, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, God. That was, that was unbelievable.